Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive in to today's message. But this morning, we're going to continue in our look at the book of Daniel. Um, I have told the elders and told uh, some of the people that we prayed with this morning that I am going to uh, do, attempt to do one of my greatest magic tricks. Is We are going to cover the entirety of chapter 2 in 30 to 35 minutes this morning. So we're going to be looking at the entirety of the chapter. So we're just going to kind of be hitting some highlights here as we go along. And I'll be reading scripture sections from this as I go along in my message. So there's not a beginning reading of the scripture as we begin this morning. But as we have looked the past couple weeks, the first chapter of Daniel gives us this history of four young men in particular that have been taken Um, kidnapped, they've been kidnapped, they've been taken hostage, and they've been moved into the land of Babylon. We talked about how they were assimilated into this culture and how that they changed what they learned, they changed their identity, and then they were asked to change what they ate. And last week we talked about how Daniel and his three friends made that stand of where God, you know, they did not consume the food, and they said, hey, give us 10 days, just 10 days of fruits and vegetables and water as opposed to the king's meat and his wine and, and let's see you know, how things turn out. We found out that not only did they look just as good as the others that were eating the meat and drinking the wine, but they looked better than that. And we, we looked at how God blessed them through this process. And then that goes into chapter 2, which we'll be covering today. And basically, you can break chapter 2 down into two parts. The first part is that the king, which is his name's Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. And then we, the second part is that we see that Daniel provides an interpretation of this dream. Now, when the king had the dream, he brought in all of his wise men. Okay, And he wanted them to interpret it for him. And then we will get into the details of this here in just a little bit. But they weren't able to do it, and he brings Daniel in to do it. But there's also a couple references here in this chapter. uh, And it kind of gives us an idea that, you know, we have a tendency to be impressed by what we can build with our hands and what we can build on our own. And I wanted to bring something into you guys this morning to show you some of my handiwork and some of the things that I've built with my own hands. I wasn't confident in the fact of them being able to make the trip in here and me carrying it up here to actually show you and it stay together. But I made a couple uh, homemade sound absorbing panels because I've got a little bit of a studio in my room that I like to record in from time to time and I didn't want to pay all that money for, you know, the store-bought or ordered sound dampening panels. So I took some two-by-fours and just ripped them right down the middle. Then I cut them into certain, you know, lengths and screwed them together. And took some towels, did all that thing to them to where they wouldn't fall out. Then I stapled them. And then I bought uh, like the beach towels that you see at Walmart. I've got an Avengers one. I've got a Star Wars one. I've got a Minion one. And I've got a Batman one. They're awesome. Okay, They're absolutely awesome. 
Listen, guys, I, I have no shame in telling you that is the pinnacle and the peak of my carpentry experience right there. It's called four screws, a bunch of staples, and some towels. That's it, all right? So I'm proud of that, I'm very proud of that, but I'm not so confident in that. But we all have this tendency, you know, to kind of have pride about what we build and the things that we can do. And, you know, if we look beyond my Tim, the Toolman Taylor carpentry skills here with my sound dampening panels, we, there's something that I keep, like to try to keep in front of me that's a saying that, you know, we, we see in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus prays in the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer. He says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the things that I like to keep in front of me at, at all times is that in order for his kingdom to come, my kingdom must first go. In order for his kingdom to come in my life, mine needs to go. And we kind of get a, a, a glimpse here in verse 35 of chapter 2 as to what God thinks about the way and the things that we build. So verse 35 says, Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled up the whole earth. Now this is one of the details of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But this kind of gives us an idea of the way that God views the things that we build and the kingdoms that we establish in our own lives. If we were to, to put it in more of a modern day term, we can look at this and I would like to think that we could term this dust in the wind. Just keep going. Okay. But earthly kingdoms that we build, that we construct, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But we see in verse 44 that there's only one kingdom that will never be destroyed. And it says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. And now I, I want to take us back to chapter 1 just real quickly in one verse. Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand vision and dreams of all kinds. So we talked about last week that being one of the blessings that God blessed him with, that God blessed him spiritually with this interpretation of dreams and vision. And now what we're going to see in chapter 2 is we see this gifting, this spiritual blessing that God gave him. We see it coming to pass and being put to use. Now, I believe that there is, what we see in this chapter is we see a couple different responses to being faced with a difficult situation. Okay, so the king has a dream, and dreams in the ancient world, were, they were really considered significant because there's sometimes we can have dreams now, and we wake up and we, we just feel like there's a deeper meaning to it. Anybody ever have that kind of dream that you just kind of know that there's some weight to it, that there's some significance to it? And then there's the kind of dreams that remind me I don't need to be eating Italian food at 1030 at night. Okay, there, So we know that there's different types of dreams, but... Back in this culture, dreams really meant, you know, something significant. 
And basically, they were often viewed as predictions of what was coming as far as future events. And if it was a king that was having these dreams, they would want to know every little piece about every little detail in this dream so that they could make sure to position uh, himself, his kingdom, and that they can make preparations for whatever the dream was telling him was coming. Okay? So he orders the wise men to come in and he says, tell me this dream, tell me what it means. And if you'll read it very carefully, one of the things that he does not do is he does not tell his wise men what the dream is. So he just brings them in. He says, okay, tell me what the dream meant. And they're like, uh, hmm, what, what was it? And then you start seeing them having this back and forth, and he's accusing them of stall tactics. And, you know, and, and I can see me in this kind of situation as he's asking me, what's it mean? I'm going to be up there kind of going, um, uh, uh, well, you see, uh, what had happened was, um, uh, uh, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, so, I mean, he, 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 they start making these stall tactics, and we, receive, we see the king begin to respond to a kind of a difficult situation or an unknown situation. And at least, you know, to me, if we're facing situations that are difficult, at least we know they're difficult, right? But sometimes there's situations that we face that are completely unknown, and that, that can bring more anxiety and worry and panic to me than if I know that I'm in a difficult situation, so we see that the king begins to respond with threats and anger. When he finds himself in this type of situation, he responds with threats and anger. And basically in verse 12, he becomes very angry and he gives orders to have all of the wise men killed. That's a little bit of anger issues right there. So we see that unbelievers can tend to respond to these difficult situations with threats and anger. But then I believe that Daniel gives us a picture of what it looks like for a believer, how we should react as a believer, and that's with wisdom, that's with courage, and that's with faith. Verses 14 through 16 of chapter 2. When the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death all the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Eric then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked him for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So what Daniel does is he responds to this situation with an incredible amount of courage and faith, and he goes into the king's throne room, and he requests one thing of the king. What was that? Time. Give me more time. Do you realize that that's the very same thing that the king refused to give to his wise men? But Daniel shows a great deal of faith and courage and wisdom in going forth and boldly asking the king who he had found favor with through his actions at the very beginning of this book. And we see again this passage tells us that Daniel handles himself with wisdom and with tact. And he goes in and he asks the king for more time. So what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn that's going to practically help us, excuse me, in the way that Daniel handles himself? Well, I want to read a passage here out of this to you, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 23. 
Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So I think that there's some practical steps here that we see and that we can use in our own life when we face difficult situations, when we face decisions, when we face seasons of our lives that necessarily maybe we wouldn't choose or that we really we don't want to be going through. I think that Daniel gives us a little bit of practical application in our lives by the way that he and his friends handle, <clears throat> excuse me, handle themselves. I've got something going on here. I'm not sure what's happening. Number one, I believe that we see a practice and a practical application in our life where we need to go to God in prayer. Verse 17 and 18. He urged, verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heavens concerning this misery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So they went to God in prayer. And then, secondly, we see that they got rest. Folks, don't ever underestimate the power of rest in the life of a believer. Even in the midst of a terrible situation, of a difficult situation, one which could cost them their lives, we see in verse 19, during the night... The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Take some time and get some rest. I know it can be difficult at times through situations to enter into a season of rest, but remember, even in the worst storm that we see in the it recorded in Scripture, the Savior of the world, the one who we lean on, the one that we call Lord, the one that we need to be trusting in, in the midst of the worst and most violent storm, was able to sleep in the midst of it. I heard it said one time that the, the storms in your life that you truly experience peace in are the ones that you can sleep through. And we don't find that peace, we don't find that comfort, we don't find that anywhere other than the one who can speak peace to the storms in our lives, into the difficult situations, into these things that we're facing that we would rather not be facing, into these circumstances, life situations that we don't want to be a part of and that we would never sign up for voluntarily. Guys, Christ never leaves you nor forsakes you. He never abandons you. He's there with you. And it's when you lean on him that we can experience the peace that passes all understanding. And in order for me and for you to experience the peace that passes all understanding, we must first 
give up our right to understand everything that happens. And that's difficult for me because I want to know, if I'm facing something, God, why is this happening? I want to understand this. I want to, I want to, I want to be able to grasp it. I want to be able to wrap my mind around it. God, why is this happening? I want to understand this. And sometimes there's things in our life that we were never meant to understand. But in everything, we're always meant to go to Jesus and to lean on him. And thirdly, this morning, respond to his goodness with praise. Verses 19 through 23, we see them giving praise to God even before they've given the report of the dream and the interpretation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Oftentimes in our lives, we are guilty of wanting to wait to see the finished product, wait to see the deliverance in our lives, wait to see the victory that we're having, and then we want to praise God. This gives us an insight that we need to be praising God even before it happens. Even before that situation is resolved, even before there's understanding and insight and enlightenment that comes into situations, we see that we need to be praising God. And then this, this chapter gives us the result of this as well. In verse 27, we see that Daniel trusts God as, as his source. In verse 27, Daniel replied, no wise man, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to you the mystery that they're asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and, your, and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And then he begins to give the interpretation of the dream. But notice that not only did they praise before this happened, but they gave God credit before they even said what it meant. They relied and trusted on God as their source. And then we see, verses 29 through 47, that God supplied the, the dream's meaning to Daniel, and he was able to deliver that to the king. And then lastly, we see that God rewards Daniel's faithfulness. In verses 48 and 49, Then the king placed Daniel, this is after he had interpreted the dream and passed it along to the king, Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Think about that for just a minute. Here are these four young men who had been taken into captivity, taken into slavery, who had faced an empire and faced a culture in which they didn't understand one that they had no familiarity with, one that they know, knew nothing of, and because of their faithfulness to God, their honoring and their respect and their gentleness and the way that they handled themselves inside of this particular culture, this Babylonian culture, which they didn't belong, and because they were unwilling to compromise their convictions and who they were in Jesus Christ, we begin to see that God rewards them by making them rulers over areas of the Babylonian culture. 
Guys, no situation that we face is ever too big for God. Never too big for God. But there are some things that, that are up to us, the way that we handle ourselves. We live in a world, I've said it the past couple of weeks, we live in a form of Babylon. We live in a world that wants us to change what we learn, wants us to change who we are, wants us to change what we consume, wants us to change and compromise our convictions. And I challenged us last week that we need to make sure that we are not compromising our convictions, but at the same time that we're doing so with honor and respect and gentleness and the love of Jesus Christ to the world that we live in. Because once again, Jesus did not come for the well. He didn't come to, to, to heal the well. He came to heal the sick. He didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the sinner. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And the way that he communicates his love to a lost and dying world of Babylon is that most times he uses me and he uses you. How well are you letting him use you this morning to influence those around you? Now, the past two weeks, we have wrapped up with a question of where do we see Jesus in this text? Because again, all of Scripture, all of this book, is a story of Jesus Christ. And I want to show you Jesus this morning in this text with a quote from David Helm. He says, God took a Hebrew prisoner of war, Daniel, and stood him confidently before the ruler and his own execution. Understand that's what Daniel faced when he went into the throne room of King Nebuchadnezzar to ask him for more time to interpret his dream. This is a foretaste of what Jesus would later do for us, except that Jesus, he not only faced execution, but he endured it. Jesus is the greater Daniel. He is the greater Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. He is the greater form of every, every character and every instance that we see that point to him. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus came and he faced an execution, one that he was not guilty of, charges that he was innocent of, but he not only faced it, but he went through with it so that you and I could know him as Lord and Savior.